Welcome, welcome. This is Amanda Mortensen at Yoga Wellness Money, and I'm so happy we're here together today, and I want to talk about a dilemma I am in with the principle of passive income. Now, it's been interesting. We moved two years from Southern California, kept our house there, and then bought a house here in Boise, Idaho. And it has been rough. It has been rough, and the job market is pays. Oh, it's terrible. Um, my husband took a commission job just so he could earn enough money. Um, I was offered a job that paid me the same that I made 20 years ago when I first graduated from law school. So needless to say, the salaries are a little behind the times with certain sectors here, and property is just going crazy. As a matter of fact, we bought our house about 75000 below market. Everything's jumped 30% just last year because there's such an influx of population here. But here's the situation. I feel like we've just really had to tighten our belts, and I thought, wow, even though on paper my net worth is slightly over a million, I feel kind of broke, you know, because there's not a lot of cash flow coming in. And so I read this book called Set for Life by Scott Trench. And I actually skipped the first two chapters because the first chapter was how to build your first 25,000. And the second chapter was on your first 100,000. And I was like, well, I want to jump forward to just making more money. But then I went back and read the whole thing. And it's really valuable because it's like he captured things that I did instinctively when I graduated from school. And the first one he recommends is building up your first 25000 of cash by living really frugally. And I absolutely did this. When I graduated from law school, Rather than get a new car like everybody's like, ooh, when are you going to get a new BMW? I buckled down, got a really tiny studio apartment, rented really cheap, put at least $1,000 away every single month because I wanted to buy something within a year. And back then, California was coming out of a 30% recession in real estate. I was able to get a condo in Laguna Beach for around $204,000, which I can't even believe that anything was ever that price. And my big mistake was selling it. So yes, spoiler alert, I sold it. But I made nice gains and it's been the money that I've used to buy property subsequent. So just kind of in that very first decision, that first year after school to be frugal and make that first investment in a good location by the beach you know, I easily made $100,000 two times over. So it was a great start to set myself up to be in a position to do things. There's two other things I want to quickly mention that were important in that time. And other than having stored up savings, another important thing was to have a great credit score because no bank is loaning a woman money by herself without an excellent credit score. And the second thing was having a good job. Because really, your income from your employer is going to be 
your fastest wealth building tool because you know they'll pay you and that's all money in your pocket outside of taxes. Therefore, I do not like it when people dog on the nine to five job and say, follow your passion, do your own thing. Well, there's very little wealth that can be built early on if you don't have some life experience, some corporate or government experience. There's a few exceptions out there that kind of go and make their own way right off the bat. But it's really nice to go into work and have a 401k, health insurance, disability insurance, a set salary that you can depend on and live well below your means so you can really sock away that money and start creating a life. The second thing Scott recommends is after you have that next 100000 is to, well, he says not to buy the luxury house. He says you can live in a flip and just like live in it, fix it up, and then sell it and keep the capital gains because you can earn 250000 on your own and keep it all without paying taxes if you've lived in the property for two of the past five years. You can keep 500000 if you're married and live in the property two of the past five years. And I really like the idea of getting something that you fix up and add value to. He also mentioned house hacking, which I is more of a term than I realized, but it's the principle of you buy a home with a basement apartment or you're still pretty young so you can live in one room and rent out all the other rooms to your friends and have them pay the mortgage. Or you buy a duplex and you live in one side and the other side essentially pays for most of the um, mortgage. So you're essentially living cheap or rent-free or really below what you're bringing in. And that will help you escalate building wealth because too many people, they let you have a third of your gross income in property, in your housing. But that's kind of a high number because if you think about that, that's really 50% of your take-home pay because they're figuring the the 30% on your gross income But in reality, you don't get all of your income. You get about 70% of your income or 75% of your income. So really, a lot of people's housing end up being half of their money every month. And the other half is left to pay other bills and do things, and it makes it harder to set it aside. So if you can minimize that biggest cost that you have, housing, by house hacking, by living in a little modest place, fixing it up and flipping it and taking those gains and rinse and repeating, something like that, that can help you early on to sort of get ahead of the game. Because here's the real goal, and this is where my dilemma comes in. I have about 45% of my investments in the stock market, stocks, a few bonds, And then the other 55% of my net worth is tied up in real estate. And and one of the real estate properties is the one in California, and it's being rented rented out, and it cash flows positive. In other words, I make about $900 a month after everything is paid. So about $10,800 a year. And then depreciation offsets that, so I don't end up paying any taxes on that cash flow. But that house is also worth about nine hundred and 
$29,000, but I'm only getting $10,800 a year, which means on the cash flow, it's about a 1% return. But there's also appreciation in the property. So sometimes you sacrifice cash flow for appreciation. But still, after reading Scott Trench's book, he talked about starting to get into duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, rental properties that have returns so that you can start getting into a position where you have multiple streams of passive income and so you're not totally reliant on that job. And so I thought, oh my goodness, should I take that property and sell it, keep all the capital gains because I'm married, and then put that down on you know $100,000 or $90,000 on a few triplexes or fourplexes that are in what I learned in the middle of Idaho. That said... I didn't just come up with that idea on my own. I actually called some people in California that do a lot of flipping properties, buying properties, renting properties, buy, sell, hold, flip, the whole gamut on top of their regular jobs. And, you know, the gentleman I spoke with, Jared, pointed out that I could take that, buy these $450,000 triplexes that are going up, put 90000 down on four of them or five of them. I wouldn't do five. That would squeeze out every last penny of the gains. And then he said they will each cash flow about 12000 a year. And then I've gone from getting 10800 a year to eh, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, you know, somewhere between fifty and $60,000 a year cash flow. And I was like, wow, that is a great idea. I drove to the area. I looked around. They looked good. But I came home and ran my own numbers. And I called the tax assessor to see what the taxes would be. The taxes are not like 1%. They're 1.86%. So the tax bill, just if you based it on the purchase price, which they may not assess it that high, was going to be around $8,440. And holy cow, that eats definitely into that bottom line. And also, once I figured HOAs and property management and everything else, they were not cash flowing anywhere near $1,200 a month. I came up with something between six dollars and $900 a month. And so I'm glad I ran my own numbers and didn't just get caught up in the hype because the numbers just didn't uh, pan out. And also, once I figured out the interest rate on something like that, When it's not your primary residence, the interest rate is higher, closer to 4.3% right now as of September 2019. Although this seemed to address my dilemma of cash flow, like I said, the numbers didn't work out. And the other dilemma I had was, I don't want to sell my property in California. My goal is to go back to California, to go back to that house. I was hoping to do an exchange that's a proposition in California where at the age of 55, you can go laterally or down and keep your original tax base. So if your house goes up to 1.2 million, you can do a lateral to another 1.2 million house in a different area or go down to a million dollar house, but you keep your original $600,000 tax base, which is 
a really great deal. However, if I sell the California house and let's say the properties in the middle of Idaho do well, eventually I sell a couple of them and sell this house and have an adequate down payment to go back to California, well, guess what? Now now I'm going to have a tax base a lot higher than if I had just held on to my original property. So then I was kind of back to square one. Two homes, nominal cash flow. And then I thought, well, this house has gone up substantially and we bought it under market. So I did a little math. On very conservative numbers, there might be, I might be able to net out like $250,000 of gains. But I really need 300000 if I want to put down on three properties because I did find some other fourplexes in the area that haven't been built yet, but look like the numbers will pencil out better. Because the rule of thumb that I didn't know, which might be cool to share so that more people know this, it's the 1% rule. And basically, if a property is $400,000, 1% is $4,000, and that's how much they should cash uh, collect in rents every month. So that would represent like a 12% return. So if it's a little less than that, that's great. If it's up to 15%, that's awesome. The only thing you sacrifice on that is that is often in areas that don't appreciate quickly, some hold their value, some will lose their value. But if you're looking for long-term, just passive income, those are great areas to invest. If you're comfortable with the area, you understand the area, and hopefully it's not too far away from your primary residence. Okay, without getting too far on a tangent, let's circle back to the house in Idaho. Well, we plan on selling this when we leave, and we were thinking we would have enough equity in this house to pay off the house in California. And I thought, but what if we sold this house earlier, it's like next spring, and it probably have all the equity we need, and then put it down on these cash-flowing properties, and we just rent, since we're just going to be here a few more years anyway as we get my husband's daughters raised. So that's what I've been like chewing on right now. There's a lot to that. I love this house. It's big. I won't need this much space. Our oldest graduates in uh, in the end of not this school year, but the next school year. And then we'll be down to three. <laughs> yes, we started with four. So I, I don't know. I'm just kind of playing with it. And it's scary once you start dealing with bigger numbers. And I don't want to be intimidated by that. I've done most of this single and by myself. And so I don't want to, you know, pull back and get all nervous now and take, you know, the very most safest route possible. And it would be like the equivalent of sticking my money in a CD, you know, to just hang on to two primary residences and then, you know, but then again, you know, if I'm going to follow Dave Ramsey, he would say, by all means, sell this house, pay off your other house, have no bills, and then everything you make, you can store up fast and build your wealth. So I, there's a lot of options. I just wanted to talk about this because I think a lot of times people don't get really specific 
about the nuts and bolts of money, about investing, about options. And I do still, I mean, despite real estate, I love, love investing in index funds. So the S&P 500 index fund, the NASDAQ index fund, the total market index fund, I invest in those through Fidelity. I love those because you can invest, let them take a roller coaster ride, but ultimately they'll end up up and they don't call you up and say the toilet's clogged or the roof is leaking and the money just works and grows and doesn't give you any grief. Being a landlord, there's a lot more moving parts. As a landlord, though, you have other benefits of your cash flows, your appreciation, your tax write-off of the depreciation, which helps you have a lot of the income come in tax-free. But if we're really smart, we'll just continue to live on our regular income from jobs. And then when the time comes and the money's coming in, we can use that money to pay down the mortgages faster on the rental incomes till eventually they're paid off. And every dime that comes in other than taxes and maybe a little HOA is just pure profit. So there's a lot of ways to skin this cat. And I want you to think, start thinking this way and do things and keep it really in your control. Don't give your money to anybody. Don't start investing. Don't, you know, don't give your money to somebody that's like, oh, we're going to develop this land and we're going to give you back this percent. And no, just do things and keep it within your control. And, you know, maybe you start out with, you have a nest egg and always, always, always keep an emergency fund. I mean, no matter what stage of life you're in, keep an emergency fund because the only reason we were able to buy this house in Boise that has paid us back, you know, 50 fold is because we took our emergency fund, which was like $45,000, $47,000 and took $28,000 and put it down on this house. So we still had an emergency fund left, but we had extra cash to do something and we didn't have to sell our house in California and lose on all that appreciation when we came to Idaho, just knowing we were going straight back to California. So really do, before you start doing any investing at all, have a six-month emergency fund. I don't think three months is enough. If any of you have lived through the 2001 tech downturn or the 2008-2009 debacle, recession, credit crisis, you know that cash is king during those periods. First of all, huge deals come up during that time because everything just is on a fire sale. And second of all, you have that security and it can take a while to replace a job, especially the more money you make, the longer it takes to find a job at the same level and salary if you ever get there. So it definitely pays to have cash, to be able to like scale back, live frugally, not have debts, have own everything you have, don't have car payments, don't have credit card debt, get rid of those student loans as fast as you possibly can. And if you have student loan debt, 
I don't recommend buying anything. I recommend having roommates, living for super cheap, renting out your parents' basement, whatever it takes to just get those things out of your way because you can't really start building wealth until you are sort of clean slating it. And by clean slate, I mean, you know, no debts and a war chest of money that's just yours, that's just kept in a savings account, nothing fancy. Just go to liallly.com and you can get, you know, right now as of September 2019, I think the interest it's paying is 1.98. It was 2.2 just a month ago, but the feds dropped the interest rate. Therefore, savings accounts will drop. But keep your money on an, in an online bank, not at your regular bank making 0.01%. Robbery, I tell you. Terrible. So, oh, and by the way, your online bank, Ally, is connected to your home bank. So whenever you need money or want to put money over, you just they just connect between your two banks. So it's really easy. Anyway, that's all I wanted to talk about today. I'm still in a dilemma. If I figure out what or how we're going to do this and really start upping our passive income gain, because I would love to be in a position where if my husband wasn't able to work and I didn't have a job or something happened, we could still rely on our passive income to get us by, assuming we have no other debts. That's something to think about. Oh, and by the way, if you want to know why it's important to get like a million dollars in your 401k in your savings, that also becomes passive income. Because if you have a million dollars invested in the stock market, which returns conservatively an average of 8%, and let's say you took out 5% a year when you turned 60 or 65, you could take out $50,000 a year and the principal wouldn't be touched. It would keep growing. And if you have that emergency fund in place, when there's a drop in the stock market and your accounts look scary and lower, you don't touch it. You just take out the bare minimum you're required to and then just slip off your emergency fund for a period. Or have some money in bonds because usually when stocks drop, bonds go up. But... I won't get into that. I think people invest a little bit too heavily in bonds, especially if you're young. They, for the past decade, almost decade and a half, they haven't really performed well at all. And so, but they're a great place to have money because when the stock market drops, if you have a lot of bonds, you can, you know, trade those bonds for some really cheap hair on fire stock. I don't want to confuse the issue. I just want to talk openly about money, give you stuff to think about. I recommend Set for Life by Scott Trench. It will change your perception about the way you're approaching your finances. He really embraces frugality. He really embraces living below your means so that you can build some real serious wealth. I hope you gleaned something from today. Every time I read something, listen to something, The thing that I need to hear seems to be the thing that jumps out the most. So hopefully there was something in today's podcast that jumps out at you. That's all I have for today. Here at Yoga Wellness Money, 
Besides having our health and our money in balance, we also believe in living simply to have more so we can do great things. Go out today and do something great. I'm Amanda Mortensen, and thanks for being here. Namaste.